Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. On the rather sombre occasion of the anniversary of the Russian incursion into Ukraine, we take a look at the current state of play. Is there any light on the horizon? Since the 24th of February last year, Europe has trodden a fine line between making life as difficult as it can for Moscow and the invading forces and not triggering World War III. Yet Brussels is regularly criticised for not going far enough. And comparisons can certainly be odious. It's understandable, therefore, that European Council President Charles Michel is not keen on competing for glory with our friends across the pond. But is it not true that the US is outdoing the Union in terms of concrete support for Ukraine? Belgian broadcaster RTBF puts the question to Michel. The EU is doing its bit, and it is doing a lot. It was the EU that was first to release an armaments capacity in the early hours of the conflict. I know there is always a temptation to be modest and humble at the European level, but we have already mobilized more than 67 billion euros, all told, in military, humanitarian and financial aid. We will continue to mobilize a lot of support, and there is a fundamental difference between the US and the EU. The US is an exporter of energy resources, so they have benefited from the impact of high energy prices. They didn't want them, but they have benefited from them. This has brought additional revenue for the US as we struggle with our dependence on Russian fossil fuels, which has an impact in both energy and economic terms. We are responding to that and making the right decisions. We are reacting quickly and firmly, and this is what is required. Michel adds that, although the EU itself may be reluctant to throw full-scale military support at Kyiv, by inviting President Zelensky to Brussels, it's provided invaluable help. Specifically, it has offered him a forum in which to liaise, quickly and confidentially, with leaders from all over the bloc in order to secure military aid from national governments. Discussions are also ongoing to find ways of helping member states tackle a widespread shortage of ammunition and military parts. If they cannot source this equipment, then they cannot send it to Ukraine. Luxembourg's Defence Minister, François Bausch, believes that organising a joint EU procurement of ammunition is a good idea, as a collective EU order could provide Europe's arms industry with the scale it requires to step up production. 100.7 covers the story. The biggest problem facing the EU's weapons industry is its production capacity. Those companies that are able to produce enough ammunition are not willing to change their production lines without a medium or long-term outlook. It would therefore be easier to increase production if the EU bought a bigger quantity. We should not forget that EU member states also have their own stocks, which have been depleted and need to be refilled. Yet Bausch's counterpart in Germany, Boris Pistorius, thinks this will take too long, as German broadcaster AMS reports. That's a goal that will play a role in the medium term. 
but not right now. It makes no sense to sit down together now and think that this will solve the acute problem of ammunition procurement over the next few months. Now it's more about everyone going to any and all sources and depots that they can find to collect whatever is available, and at the same time encouraging the defense industry to talk to suppliers about increasing their production capacities as quickly as possible. Since the start of the war, one of the cornerstones of EU action has been the imposition of package after package of economic sanctions on Russia and its backers. For the time being, the Russian economy appears, at least to non-expert eyes, to be holding up under these sanctions. Kuku Radio asks Urmas Part, vice-chair of the Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee and former Estonian foreign minister, why they might not be having the intended impact and what more Brussels can do. Even the European Commission does not have a complete overview of which assets are frozen in different EU countries. Broadly speaking, they fall into two categories. There are the reserves of the Russian Central Bank, which belong to the Russian state. And then there are privately held assets, mainly all kinds of things belonging to oligarchs. Some countries are very cautious about moving forward with this because, first of all, EU member states are governed by the rule of law. They are hesitant about whether there is an adequate legal basis for confiscating these state assets. On the other hand, some countries have confiscated oligarchs' private property after the freeze and there are now dozens of cases in member states where the owners of these assets have gone to court to challenge this. It is difficult to predict when and how these lawsuits will end. In fact, the European Commission and the Council need to come up with a clear action plan as soon as possible so that member states behave consistently in this situation. Of course, the objective must be that Russia pays for the damage it has caused to Ukraine. Arnoldas Prankevicius, Lithuania's ambassador to the EU, explains to Ginu Radias why a tenth package of sanctions seems to be taking such a long time to see the light of day. Preparing new packages requires a little more time, more analysis, which sectors are not yet sanctioned, which banks are yet to be included in the financial sanctions, also which technologies are being used by Russia to renew its military potential. It's getting harder and harder. We need to be more thorough. We need more time to prepare these packages. Prankevicius also suggests that it's becoming increasingly difficult to find common ground with Hungary on this issue. The more time that passes, the more difficult it becomes with Hungary. Hungary's position on both sanctions and macro-financial assistance. Remember that we had a huge drama with Budapest in December when we could not agree on 18 billion in financial aid to Ukraine. Today, as we know, the Hungarian foreign minister is in Minsk. Belarus. This also shocked many of my colleagues in Brussels. It is regrettable, but this is becoming a systemic problem. We want to maintain solidarity. We need unity. We need to show the united front that we have been showing all year. I hope that we will be able to do this, although I must admit that it is becoming increasingly difficult. President Biden made a surprise visit to Kyiv this week. While on this side of the pond, he also popped into Poland. Both he and Poland's president, Andrzej Duda, gave speeches on Tuesday evening. 
Duda spoke first, stating that the West can no longer negotiate with Russia. Polsky Radio reports. I call on all leaders of the European countries of the North Atlantic Alliance to stand in solidarity with Ukraine, to support Ukraine, to send military support to Ukraine all the time, so that the defenders of Ukraine have something to fight with. Do not hesitate. Do not be afraid. There is no more room for business as usual with Russia. Where blood is shed, an honest man cannot do business. It must be stopped at all costs. Today, it can only be stopped with modern weaponry. This is what Ukraine needs. Speaking after the Polish president, Biden vowed that NATO will not be divided and that America and its allies will not tire of supporting Ukraine. The following day, Biden also attended an extraordinary summit of the so-called Bucharest 9, or B9, group, representing the countries of NATO's eastern flank in Warsaw. Jens Stoltenberg, NATO's Secretary-General, was also there. After this meeting, the Romanian president, Klaus Ioannis, told the press that Romania, for one, could not afford to tire. Radio Romania shares his comments. Let me be very clear, support for Ukraine means support for the security of Romania, Romanian citizens and NATO as a whole. Romania, as a member state of NATO and the European Union, with the longest common border with Ukraine, will stand by the authorities in Kyiv and the Ukrainian citizens for as long as it takes for them to win this war. Romania will continue to welcome refugees from Ukraine with open arms, as it has welcomed more than 3.5 million people to date, to provide substantial support and to sustain the Ukrainian economy, as we have demonstrated through our efforts to ensure the transit of some 13 million tons of grain from Ukraine. Meanwhile, Slovenia is spearheading an initiative, along with Belgium, the Netherlands and three non-EU nations, for an international cooperation treaty in the field of criminal law. According to Slovenia's foreign minister, Tanja Fajon, who presented the initiative at Monday's Foreign Affairs Council, such an agreement would facilitate, among other things, the prosecution of war crimes in Ukraine. This international convention will certainly be of great help in investigations and prosecutions because it will enable cooperation with third countries where, of course, evidence may appear, where there may be witnesses, etc. A total of 77 countries have joined the initiative to date, says RTV Slovenia. And a special conference will be held in Ljubljana at the end of May. But support for Ukraine is not seen only at the highest levels. By Thursday morning, Lithuanian residents and companies had donated some 8.5 million euros, and counting, to the Radarom campaign to purchase radars for Ukraine. This money was raised in a matter of weeks, and the first radars acquired with these funds should be arriving on Friday. Edmundus Yakilaitis, one of the originators of this crowdfunding campaign, was initially sceptical about how much money they would raise, but in the end, the figure has surpassed his expectations. Earlier this week, he told Giniu Radias some of the reasons why he believes the Lithuanian people continue to show such particularly strong solidarity with Ukraine. Our people see very clearly and understand very clearly. 
We are different from other Europeans. We have a lot of experience in common. We know what happens when the boots of Russian soldiers trample on your homeland and where this can lead. This is why we feel much more solidarity with the Ukrainians than many European nations. Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians and Poles probably understand this best, and this can be seen in the extent to which the societies of these countries are involved. Although, of course, Lithuania is really exceptional here. Things like Berakta, like Radodom, like blue-yellow, like 40,000 Ukrainian war refugees living in people's homes. In other countries, these things do not happen. There are, of course, more light-hearted ways for citizens to show support. Eurovision, for one. Speaking through an interpreter, Ole Psyuk, the Ukrainian rapper who, with his band Kalush Orchestra, won the contest in 2022, tells Francis Urradio that popular culture can be used to keep Ukraine's plight at the forefront of people's minds. Try to get the most of our popularity, popularity at the moment to um, to make Ukraine visible, to speak out about what's going on and speak about our culture, speak about what uh, what goes on in our country, just to stay, to to not let it just be forget, for, forgotten. We hope that Ukraine will still be represented uh, at uh, the Eurovision contest in UK and we hope that the representative of Ukraine this year will present, will just perform in, uh, in, the, in the best way possible, all the way, anything that can help in uh, all possible aspects. A wide-ranging BNR interview with Bulgaria's Ukrainian ambassador, Vitaly Moskalenko, also touched on the theme of popular culture, namely sport. Moskalenko was asked what decision he expects the Olympic Committee to take regarding Russia's presence at the upcoming Games in Paris in 2024. A decision is expected to be taken by the International Olympic Committee to bar athletes from Russia and Belarus from the upcoming Olympics in Paris for supporting the so-called special military operation, which is in fact brutal Russian aggression against Ukraine. Many of them are involved in the the actual fighting, and what's more, during that war, hundreds of Ukrainian athletes have been killed or wounded, and hundreds of sports venues destroyed. So where are we now, one year on? Well, the war is still raging, but support for Ukraine remains strong. Thanks for listening. We'll be taking a break next week, so join us again in two weeks' time for another trip around the Euronet Plus network. Yeah.